Let's stand together. Do you know what we're going to do? Yeah, but what are we going to do today? Any, anyone? What season are we in? What did we just celebrate yesterday? Transfiguration. So we're going to sing the Transfiguration, which means I'm going to sing the Transfiguration song really loud, and you guys are going to like hum along with me. <laughs> but one of the things we try to do we, during any of the major feast times of the year is we have a particular hymn that is associated with that holiday. And we sing it in our services many times. We repeat it multiple times, so it kind of gets stuck in your head, especially after a few years. It gets stuck in your head even more. And then it's appropriate if you, as you learn these hymns to sing them like during a, we would call it an after feast. There's a little, a little time where we continue to reflect on the themes of the particular feast in the church. For, so for Transfiguration, the next, about the next week, in the hymns, if you come to Vespers throughout the week or anything like that, you'll hear some of the, uh, the hymns for Transfiguration. We continue to reflect on the meaning of it. And during those times, it's appropriate, like before the blessing of the food, to sing the, uh, the, the hymn. Now, I don't have the music for you right now, but uh, I've been hoping to put a page on our website that has a little recording of all of the major feasts of the church and the music and the words so that you guys can learn. Otherwise, you have to wait for a few years until you memorize it. And, uh, but I'll work on that. So do your best. And if you pay attention, you'll hear there are certain hymns that are repeated. And that's partially there to help us remember them. So this is called the, the uh, Troparion for Transfiguration. When thou, O Christ, our God, was transfigured on the mountain, thou didst reveal thy glory to thy disciples in proportion as they could bear it. Let thine everlasting light also enlighten us sinners through the intercessions of the Theotokos. O thou bestower of light, glory to thee. All right, Christ is in our midst. Yes, never shall be. Amen to that. Okay. The same, the same problem that I encounter every week. If you guys want to share, you know, you don't have to follow along in the book, but if you, every couple of you, want to just grab a book and kind of share, follow along. Um, it's not necessary to follow along because I do a little reading and a little talking and it may be more distracting to try to, try to read. But um, I basically turn the book into kind of le lecture notes. But today we're talking about the church at prayer. And it doesn't take long doesn't take much exposure to orthodoxy to realize that we like prayer. We talk about prayer a lot. We talk about having a, a prayer rule. 
which is like a rhythm of daily, daily prayer that's a part of your personal spiritual practice. And of course, we pray together. Every time we come together, we pray. And we value prayer so much that we, um, we even have examples, you know, gui- guidelines of prayers in order to teach us how to pray. So our goal as Orthodox Christians isn't just to pray, but to become prayer, to, be, to, to pray without ceasing, to use the language of St. Paul. And everything that we do is to help encourage that. Now, us, us Westerners are, tend to be more utilitarian and practically minded. And so we tend to think about things in terms of what needs to be done and what doesn't need to be done. And so when we approach things like prayer, we think, how do I need to accomplish this task? You know, how do I, how much prayer do I need to do every day? What's the, you know what I mean? Like, and then go on with my life. And then I know I need to pray before my meals. And there are times that are appropriate for specific prayers, for you know, asking the blessing for a meal, starting your day and ending your day with prayer. But the goal actually is to, to cultivate a constant awareness of God. So it's not that you pray in the morning, okay, that's a dot. You pray before breakfast, that's another dot. And you pray before lunch, there's another dot. You pray at dinner, there's another dot. I'll tell you what I mean by the dots in a second. And then you pray in the evening, and that's another dot. So you've got all these dots for every day. And our goal is to to connect them all. The church is reminding us that... What is, what, what is continuous in our life is to be a constant remembrance of God. Although because we have a hard time remembering God, we've been given a certain way of approaching, of learning, you know, how, how, to, um, how to pray. And it begins with, well, if I don't naturally just pray, or if I only pray on impulse or when I want to, that's usually not enough. So the church, as, this, as the school of prayer and as the place of healing, of spiritual healing provides the manner, provides the, you could say, it's kind of like when you, when you have physical therapy, you know, you, you have an injured leg, maybe you haven't been walking on it, you haven't been walking on it well, you end up having a knee replacement, you're out of balance because you've been accommodating for a bad knee, so you're leaning, you know, in the wrong way, your muscles have atrophied and your doctor, once you get your knee replacement, your doctor is going to teach you how to regain mobility and how to build muscle so that you can walk and maintain balance. And um, it doesn't feel good to bend and to stretch and to push and pull the muscles. But in the end, it's going to restore your ability to, to be mobile, maybe to run, whereas before you could only limp. And that's kind of how it is with our prayer life. The church is kind of like the, the spiritual equivalent to uh, physical therapy, spiritual therapy. And uh, 
when people go to you know their physical therapy after a knee replacement or something they go man it doesn't feel good but i know it's i know it's what's best for me and that's just a doctor he's trying to help you know help you recover from a surgery and what we're talking about is something essential to your to your identity to restore your relationship with god and to learn how to do that and to strengthen atrophied muscles so to speak so let's talk about the church at prayer i like to call the church like a, a laboratory of prayer so prayer is the language of the church in which we communicate with god both privately and corporately. What does privately mean? Come on, people. By yourself, alone. And what does corporately mean? Together, when you're together. I like, you know, prayer is a big deal for us. We pray when we're alone and we pray when we're with other people. We don't only pray to be seen by other people or because we have to when we're together. Makes it authentic. I mean, it makes it forced. And unless you give yourself over to it and you realize, wow, I've got a lot to learn, which is actually part of what happens. I've heard people say when they become Orthodox or when they're exploring Orthodoxy, man, all, all the people come here and they're into the prayers and the hymns. And I'm like, I'm not that holy. You know, I'm not, I, I don't have a lot of experience with that. Well, what do you do with anything you're not good at? You practice, you work on it. I mean, we think that spiritually there's, there's like a switch. We would love for there to be a switch that we could flip on. The noetic switch, you know, the spiritual, you know, just all of a sudden you flip the switch and it's like, I'm enlightened. Yes, but that's not how it works because your light bulb, so to speak, is covered in rot and dust and stuff and it needs to be cleaned off or to use the language of or the image of St. Athanasius the Great. He says it's like, it's like a, a fine portrait. You can't see what's there. You can see the, the outline, the, the semblance, you know what I mean? But it needs to be cleaned before you can see what's there. So with our light, even if you turned it on, you wouldn't even be able to see the illumination because it's covered in dust and dirt and so that's that's part of our process our practice you know of purification and we want to be able to another thing to run with that metaphor we want to be able to turn it on and then turn it off when it's convenient our prayer like our christianity when you're with father jeremiah you you want to be the best christian ever like oh, i love saint john Climacus, you know, but you're probably not going to run up to your coworker and say, I love St. John Climacus. They're going to be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and so, you know, now maybe it's more like a dimmer switch is what we should go for. But, you know, um, but we would love the convenience of being able to turn it on and off. Also, that doesn't really happen with the spiritual life, because when you turn on, when you start to I'm having too much fun with this metaphor. When you turn that light on, it starts melting away the, the grime too. The, when you allow your, the flame of the love of God to be ignited within you, it, you start to be purified by the grace of God. Then, if you start taking that seriously, sincerely, then 
then you can't avoid letting your light shine when you're around other people. And I'll tell you, even if the world doesn't want, isn't comfortable with that, letting your light shine is a good thing. You know, being a Christian, being who you truly are in Christ, because, you know, to speak kind of psychologically, what, what God thinks about you is far more important than what anyone else in the entire world thinks about you. And so through cultivating prayer, our identity starts becoming set aright. And it's through the practice of prayer. And it's through private prayer. And it's through corporate prayer. In the Acts of the Apostles, we read that the first Christians, quote, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of the bread and in the prayers. Acts 2.42. From the beginning, prayer, both corporate and private, was essential to the life of the church. Every Orthodox Christian, therefore, is expected to participate fully in the church's liturgical prayer and to have a personal rule of prayer of his or her own. What are we talking about when we're talking about liturgical prayer? Hmm? The, what's that? Yeah? The work? The work of prayer? When we say liturgical, what, are we, what experience are we referring to? In church, in services. Yeah. The services that are, the services that are in place when we gather together. So, um, liturgical prayer, and, and then what we're saying here is that we have the corporate prayer, which happens in the services, and then we have our private prayer, which oftentimes takes place in the form of what we call a, a rule of prayer. The word rule is a funny word. Um, so, all right, uh, well, you can do liturgical prayers at home, too. Like, I mean, we have the prayer book, and so those are technically you know, liturgical because they're set prayers, and they're teaching us how to pray. But when we talk about our liturgical life, generally, we're talking about what happens in the services of the church. But you have, um, so you have the corporate prayers, corporate liturgical And then we have um, our private prayer. The Lord says, when you pray, go into the closet to pray. You know, and so we'll call, we refer to that as like your personal you know, prayer. And actually, it's, it's also likened to the place of the heart. Not just having a physical pr prayer closet somewhere. Because what if you don't even own a closet? Sorry, I can't pray. No. I mean, it's, it's going into the, the quiet, the, still, the stillness and the quietness of your own heart, of the place where you uniquely um, cultivate a, a personal relationship with Christ. So private, and then we have um, what we call a prayer rule. The word rule is a funny one, because when we think of, what do you think of when you think of the word rule? Anything. Just, what's that? Like laws. laws, yeah. What were you going to say? 
something you can't break. Something you can't break. Exactly. So, yeah, you have to do it. A rule. A rule. But there's another sense to the word. Um, have you ever heard the word ruler? Ruler. And I'm not talking about, like, a tyrant, but I'm talking about a way of measuring something. So when we're talking about a prayer rule, we're actually talking more about like a measure. Another word, people use the word canon. Um, or um, canon or canona in Greek. But basically it's a, it's a, it's a measurement. It's a, how much do you, pr- like, what is your regular prayer? It's almost like your, uh, you know, what's your calorie allotment for today? so to speak. You know, in Father James, when I first became Orthodox, I, I decided that I was going to finally fi- have that spiritual father who was going to tell me exactly what to do. What prayers to do, how to live out my spiritual life. And then I would be free because I wouldn't be do- making it up as I go anymore. Reading the Bible and interpreting it privately and figuring out my own inner spiritual life without guidance. And... Father James told me, well, when, here's how you should pray. Don't do too little and don't do too much. <laughs> I was like, what? He's like, yeah, you know, use, find a, you know, a prayer book and a translation you like and try to say the Jesus prayer as often as you can. But yeah, don't do too little, don't do too much. Oh, thanks. It's like, but that's how, like, that's a really good prescription, actually, for anything in life. Don't eat too little. Don't eat too much. Don't sleep too little. Don't sleep too much. I mean, now our goal with prayer, with, with prayer, depending on what we're talking about when we're talking about prayers, um, our goal is to, to have constant converse and union, a sense of connection with God. But when we're talking about um, like formal prayer times, I rise in the morning and I pray. For most people, it's not realistic for you to spend four hours in the morning praying. You know, setting time aside just to pray. And then another four hours in the evening or something like that. But for some people, you know, it's, you, have, you get up in the morning, you can take a little bit. You can take maybe a half an hour. Maybe, and the the amount of time even isn't what makes what makes it valuable. Although time is an investment, and it is interesting to think that we invest our time in the things that we value, just like we spend money on the things we value. I've told people if you want to if you want to do a little analysis of what it is that you care about in your life, two things can be really helpful. One, go back and look at your bank statement from the last month and see what you spent money on. That's very revealing about, whoa, food, 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 (laughs) snacks. Try to call that, you know, because maybe make it sound a little different. Movie rental. I mean, you know, it's very interesting. Or it's just bills. It might be bills or activities or nowadays gas you know we spend a lot on gas but then even if you're spending a lot on gas then what are you it reveals something about I value getting places then 
well, where do I, where am I getting? You know what I mean? Where am I going? Why do I value it so much? Um, so what you do with your money and also what you do with your time, you know, a lot of us kind of, we have certain constraints that we have to live within. I have to, I have to be certain places at certain times. Service starts at 9.30, about, on a Sunday. So I have to be to church by 9.30. And then work starts at, I don't know, 9 the next morning. So I have to be to work. But so we allow, but, but we, why, why do we have to do those things? Like, why do we have to be to church at a certain time? Why do we have to be to work at a certain time? It's a rhetorical question because I'm going to answer it. Um, we have to because we've, we've chosen to. I've chosen to keep the job. If I, if I value the job enough to make it there on time, I do not have to be there at nine. But I do if I want to keep it, if I want to stay employed, for example. You know what I mean? We have an incredible amount of freedom. We, just for, we forget about it because one of our problems in the Western world is that we're we're minimalists in a certain way. What's the least I have to do? What's the least I have to do in order to express what it is that I care about? Rather than what's the most I can do in order to fulfill my identity as someone who actually cares about this life that I live. And I could go off on a massive tangent in that regard, but I'm not going to do that. Um, but but that's, a, that's that idea of... Um, of feeling that there are certain things we, you know, we have to do. It really defines us, but we use the language of necessity, I have to, as a way of not actually taking responsibility for the fact that we choose to. As if it's someone else's fault that I applied for the job and they hired me, and now I have to go there to get my paycheck. It's not their fault that you said yes to the job. You know what I mean? But there's something deeper there too. You're like you, you care about your family and you want to support your family. So you, you treat it as if you have to work. But you know what? It's just another level deeper. I, I, I know that I need, it's the best thing for me to do to provide for my family. Sorry, I'm going on like a really fun, crazy tangent. But you don't have to provide for your family. You don't have to. But you choose to because it's important. You value it. It's really important for us to realize that our life is not defined by a bunch of these like underlying currents that take hold of us and force us to do things we don't want to do. We actually choose to do a lot of things because we value them deep down inside. I don't go to work simply because I have to. I've chosen to for some reason. There's a, there's a reason I do it. I value it. I think it's better for me to go rather than not to go. And so we need to learn on an existential level, really, and we like to take credit for those decisions we've made. Because it means actually you care about something other than yourself, you know, and self-satisfaction. Just getting what you want all the time. And all of that connects back to taking time to pray. Why would I take time to pray? 
Don't do it just because Father Jeremiah says I have to, you know, as a means to an end. Like Father Jeremiah says, I need to pray if I want to become an Orthodox Christian. Why do you want to become an Orthodox Christian then? Because it's the true faith. Well, why do you think it's the true faith? Well, because it's historical and it's got the apostolic tradition. But why does it have historical integrity in the apostolic tradition? Well, because the, like, God is there and the grace of the Holy Spirit. Why is the grace of the Holy Spirit there? Because God became man in the person of Jesus Christ and He established the church and it lives today. Oh, so it's not that you have to pray because Father Jeremiah told you to so that you can become an Orthodox Christian. It's actually because you really believe in Jesus. You see, but we get so far removed in our degrees of separation to where we think, you know, we trick ourselves into thinking we have to do things and then therefore we resist them. So it's better to do a paradigm shift. And this is hard for us because we're used to being, we're used to taking this like minimalistic approach to life. It's, it's easier for us to say, well, I, I have to, I have to do this. And so therefore I'm going to, and then I'll get it over with. And then what are you going to do? You're going to finally get to do what you really want to do. You know what I mean? Like you have to pray in the morning, poor person, poor guy. And then you can finally go do what you really want. What's more valuable to you? You know what I mean? Now, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to harangue you and say that you, if you don't pray before work, it means that you somehow you, you love work more than you love God. Um, although that could, be an, that could be a lesson to be like. I prioritize work over God. Mm. And we do vote with our time. We do. We vote with our money. We vote with our time. So, in the therapeutic tradition of the church, which aims at our healing and our restoration to a relationship with God, not just an accomplishment of a series of tasks so that we can do the, the least we have to do in order to get to heaven, but so that we can actually experience true freedom, the inner life, like the access, having access to the lover of mankind. Um, we have things that we're, we're prescribed to do that are for our benefit. Because we don't, we're so far removed, we're not, we're not free anymore. If we were free, we would, be, we would be in constant contact with God. We would all have discernment. We would be wise. We would, meet, we would not be excessive in any way. And we would love everyone we encounter. And we struggle with that. So the counteraction to it is some, what we perceive as discipline. You know, the taming of the flesh. And uh, the persecution, I like to call it the persecution. I kind of like poetic language, so I call it persecuting the ego. And we all need to persecute the ego a little bit. Well, I'd rather sleep in. Well, yeah. I'm going to persecute you, ego. Um, and um, another, another little phrase for persecuting the ego that comes from one of my friends who's a, a, a bishop. He says, um, 
mercilessly persecute hypocrisy within yourself. Chew on that. Like, that's a really good one. So, you could talk about prayer and theology all day. But have you really internalized it? Like, do you understand? Have you taken time to pray? And I prove my own hypocrisy because I know that I don't pray enough. And I will give you a little secret. There is no enough to prayer. If prayer is constant and union and communion, you know, with God forever, then sorry, you'll never pray enough. Which just means there's always, it's constant, it's dynamic, it's ongoing. And that's exciting, you know. It's the definition of true, true relationship. You never want it to end. I, I use marriage metaphors a lot. Like, you would never, you guys are an easy target because you're married and you're sitting next to each other. But, like, I've asked, do you guys probably remember this? Like, I, I often say that uh, you wouldn't turn to your wife and say, what's the least I have to do in order to stay married to you? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I love you just like, I want to love you just enough to stay together because I like the benefits of marriage. You know what I mean? But no, that would be stupid to say that. You'd be signing your own death warrant. But likewise, you would never look at someone you love and say, um, I hope this love lasts for only 30 years. That would be really nice. You just, you wouldn't say that. It would be artificial and it would be, it would show that the desire isn't for a sincere love. And our desire is to enter into a loving relationship with the lover of mankind, with God, that will continue forever. And, uh, and so there's a huge paradigm shift. Like, do you see what I'm getting at here? I'm sorry if that's too much, like drinking from a fire hose, but I started... Once I start, I can't stop sometimes. But it begins with changing our priorities then. And sometimes it's, it feels like it's out of discipline. Like, uh, I know I need, to, I need to take the time to pray, pray. Yes, you do need to. And I like the language of need rather than have, have to. I, I really need it. Kind of like I need a drink of water. You do need water. Otherwise, you'll be dehydrated. And you, you need prayer, otherwise you'll become disoriented. And the church actually makes it fairly easy for us in a way. Because you don't have to do a bunch of contrived prayers from deep within. Like, oh Lord, I, I want to express myself deeply and I... I just need you, and I just, we used to call them just prayers. Lord, just help me, and Lord, just be there. And You know, no, like, we tried so hard with such sincerity, but we would wear ourselves out a lot of times um, when I was younger because we didn't have the wisdom and the structure of the, of the liturgical tradition and the inspired prayers that teach us the, the words to use. How to, how to do it and what we can do. And just because someone else wrote it doesn't mean it's not a prayer that you can make your own. When we take, if our desire is to become a member of the church, 
then every prayer that is a prayer of the church, it is of you then. It is your prayer. Just because St. Simeon the New Theologian wrote it or St. John Chrysostom wrote it, doesn't mean it's his prayer. Because to be, to be a true Christian is to be, to use a big word, to be an ecclesial being, to be a member of the, of the body of Christ, the church. That ecclesial comes from the word ecclesia, which means um, church in Greek. Ecclesia. To be an ecclesial. Here, I'll write that. That's kind of a cool word. An ecclesial being. I stole that from a book title called Ecclesial Being. Um, but it comes from the Greek. Um, it's, uh, how did they write it? In English, like ecclesia. It's accented. It's not ecclesia, but ecclesia. And it, that's the word that gets translated as, as church. Church. Um, because we're called to live a life of, of, of communion with others. And so my even my corporate, I mean, my, my private prayer is never seen as divorced from other people. And actually the most advanced you could say people like in their prayer and in their spiritual life who live a life of isolation and prayer. They live, they live a life like as a hermit. We have this in our tradition. Someone who lives a quiet life of solitude and prayer. It doesn't make sense to most of us because it it's impractical, so to speak. But they spend their time laboring in prayer on behalf of the world. They live a life of physical isolation, but they're united to everyone in prayer. So they're not distracted by worldly things, and they're living a life of constant intercession. And usually in some like little cave or a hut where the ground is turned into mud because of their tears of, of constant intercession. So... When we pray our personal rule of prayer, for example, in the morning, most of our prayers start with what we call the, uh, the Trisagion prayers. Trisagion. Trisagion. Um, does anyone know what Trisagion means? It means thrice holy. Um, when we say that, like the Holy God, Holy Mighty, Holy Immortal, have mercy on us. Um, that, but Trisagion prayers are a reference to prayers. Sorry about my messy writing. Um, they're a reference to the whole set of prayers that we do, that that pop up quite a bit here and there in different services, and a lot of services begin with them, and it. And it goes like this. I'll do the whole thing for you. It's not very long. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Heavenly King, Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present and fillest all things, treasury of blessings and giver of life, come and abide in us and cleanse us from every impurity, and save our souls, O good one. Holy God, holy mighty, holy immortal, have mercy on us. We usually bow and touch the ground.
Holy God, Holy Mighty, Holy Immortal, have mercy on us. And usually facing the icons. Holy God, Holy Mighty, Holy Immortal, have mercy on us. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. All Holy Trinity, have mercy on us. Lord, cleanse us from our sins. Master, pardon our iniquities. Holy God, visit and heal our infirmities for thy name's sake. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. What comes next? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, if a priest is there, this is kind of an interesting little thing in our tradition. If a priest is there, he says, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. If there's no priest, then you say, Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. So those prayers that I just did, how long did that take? A minute, maybe? I mean, that's, that's the beginning of your daily prayer, of whatever prayer rule that you have. And when you do those prayers, you know, it's not just Cole or Peter saying some prayers. You are, yeah. Okay. Um, but you are, what you're doing is you're expressing your identity as an ecclesial being. You're, you're, so you're saying prayers that are not just uniquely your own, although they are yours, but they're the, in common, the common inheritance of all Orthodox Christians even throughout the world, universally, everyone uses those prayers in different languages. But you're starting your prayer, not on your own terms, but in communion with everyone else throughout the world who says those prayers every day. So those, those should create the core, the beginning of your, of your personal prayer. And then when you go from there, you can open up the prayer book and say some of the prayers. And every, every service, like every prayer, morning and evening prayers um, that they have in the prayer books you can buy, they begin with those. Or if, like Father Jeremiah helps give you a, a prayer rule, you know, he'll probably say something like, after you do the Trisagion prayers, read a psalm, maybe do certain prayers, and then I tend to help, have people use the prayer rope using the Jesus prayer as a part of their, their daily prayer, um, their prayer rule. But starting with um, the Trisagion prayers. And the point I really wanted to make about those prayers is that, again, it's not just an, oh, I have to do this, you know, because that's what's required of me. But what are you actually doing? You're participating in the prayer of the church. The human condition is fraught with the delusion that we're individuals, we're separate from one another, that I can have an identity that's divorced from you. Now I have a unique personhood, but my personhood is not divorced from you. And like that one elder said, Elder Emilianos, he once asked one of his disciples, why are your eyes right here? Why are your eyes here? And you know, his, his spiritual child is like, I don't know, you tell me. Like, I want, you're the elder. You tell me, the, what's the answer? He says, your, your eyes are right here. 
so that you can see the other person, not yourself. That's what it means to have personhood, to be able to see the other. St. Isaac the Syrian says, if you've seen the other person, you've seen God. Now he's not saying that, you know, you're a deity, if the person, but do you understand the point? Another being that has been created by God. And we've been created to be in communion with one another. The greatest tra- tragedies that we're not, you know, in communion with one another. It's really sad. So, our, our self-will even just starts to, the, the persecution of the ego takes place right there. I want to say my own prayers. Well, that's part of the problem. You want to, we want to do our own thing. And the church says, here's a prescription to help you heal from that. But it's not just a checklist. Okay, I did those prayers, now I can do whatever I want. But it's to understand, to approach it with the right mindset. Why am I doing it? Because I'm desiring to be united to Christ and to His body. And so that's, that's this, one of the, the profound things that is, is revealed through our an experience through liturgical prayer. Yes? Why is it only when the priest is there to say that I'm a Christian? It's just our tradition. You know, it's, yeah. I wish I had a great answer for that. But it, there's a sense that when, when, the, when the priest is there, and especially when the bishop is there, and that's, that goes back into our ecclesiology that we talked about before, which you weren't here for yet, but we'll, we'll, we'll get around to it again. We'll just, we, with these classes, by the way, we'll, we basically work our way through the cycle, and then we just start all over again, and we repeat the classes that we, the sessions that we've done. We just do them continuously throughout the year. So if you missed anything, you can just pick it up again next time. But, but, um, but with the bishop there, because Christ said that prayer, you know, Christ said, when you pray, pray this way. And then in the tradition of the church, there's, there's a, what's called an ekphonesis, like an exclamation that is the punctuation mark at the end of every prayer. Like every time we do, you know, a litany or something, the priest says a closing exclamation. Um, you know, for thine is the might and the kingdom and the power and the glory of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, now and ever and unto ages of ages. I'm exorcist. Like, it's, it's, it's an image of Christ completing the prayer. It's an image of, if, you know, but, but I don't know exactly where, you know, when that began. But, but liturgically and ecclesiologically, you could say that's, that's why it's there, just because it reminds us that um, that's really Christ who completes every prayer. And the priest is an image of that in our life. And the bishop, especially par excellence, is, is that. But we don't have, that's how the priesthood came about. Because the bishop, Christianity grew and the bishop couldn't meet everyone's needs. So anyway, that's another conversation. But that's a good question. And there are, there are funny little things like that in the tradition that have a deeper meaning. But on some level, too, we, you know, they're not, they're not up for a, a debate. Sometimes it's just that's how, you know, that is how we do it in our tradition. And we trust the tradition. 
but usually there's a reason. Most of the time there's a reason. Um, and some people get really excited about historical things like that, and then they want to go on, like, you know, they want to write a paper on how that happened. Okay, you can do that if you want to, but I'm not going to do it. I'm too busy. Um, okay. So, anyway, we, went, we covered a lot of ground, you know, talking about all this. And none of that's in our book yet. We haven't even gotten into, really into the text. Um, that's a good place to stop for now. Um, with my reflection, and then we'll get back to the, to the text and see where it leads us. Um, okay. So, we have corporate and, and a, a personal rule of prayer. And uh, quoting from Exodus, The Lord spoke unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. It's through prayer that we communicate with God. We praise him for his great loving kindness and entreat his mercy for our sins. We bring before him our troubles and our concerns. We also pray for one another, as St. James enjoins us to. Prayer is therefore an expression of the very nature of the church, which is love. Everything that we do in the church is always about love. Everything. Like there's nothing that we do in the church that is not about love. That's really important for everyone to understand. Because even, I think about one of the classic metaphors is like a surgeon perform, cutting, cutting you open in order to perform surgery. He's not harming your skin because he hates you. He's actually trying to heal you. So sometimes the process of healing hurts, you know. It feels like judgment, or it reveals shame, or, you know. But it's so that we can excise it, so that we can remove it, just like cancer is removed. So everything is about love. In prayer, we not only spend time with our beloved, we share our love for God with others as we make intercession for their needs. And again, another indication of the fact that we're, that we're not alone. One of the things that we kind of appropriate the reality of our ecclesial consciousness and our ecclesial being um, is that we have, we have icons at home too. We surround ourselves with the saints. You're not alone. You're not alone. They're there, rooting you on, you know, interceding for you and inspiring you. Prayer is the very language of the church, and it's the ABCs of our life in Christ. It's, it's significant that St. Luke mentions the prayers. So that, that quote from Acts 2 that says, the early Christians continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of the bread, and in the prayers. You could use that as kind of the... Th and I've done that before in a homily, like a theme verse for orthodoxy. The Apostles' Doctrine, what do we believe? You know, the creed, you know what I mean? Like, we have a certain belief system. And it means, to be a Christian means to trust that and to believe that it's revealed by God. 
fellowship. We become members of one another. The breaking of the bread. What are they talking about there? Yeah, the Eucharist. Communion. Because that's what Christ instituted. And the prayers. And if you know anything about ancient languages or you know certain you know foreign languages the greek language anytime the, the definite article is there like it says the prayers it's not just it's a poor translation if it says they continued in um their in beliefs fellowship meals together and prayers because it anytime the definite article is there it says the breaking of the bread the prayers it's, it's referring to something definite so it's significant that he mentions that the Jews of Jesus time prayed specific prayers at specific times of the day furthermore they observed a cycle of fasts and feasts through which they sanctified their life in this world it's a, it was a way of, of setting apart their time as holy rather than allowing their time to get swept away with all of their temporal concerns. The apostles observe these practices, as do Orthodox Christians. The cycle, um, the daily cycle of prayer begins in the evening with the service of Vespers. Vespers here. The church follows the Jewish practice of reckoning the beginning of the day from the setting of the sun. That come, it, it harkens back to Genesis, and it's something that, again, it began in Judaism and has continued in Christianity. Um, in Genesis 1-5, you have, and the evening and the morning. The evening and the morning were the first day. So I think of it this way. The day, the day, the day actually ends at the setting of the sun, and it begins in the darkness. Begins in anticipation of the rising of the sun. And so it reminds me of um, creation itself. Where, what was there? Void. Darkness. It doesn't mean that there was... I mean, God was there. And so we're standing there kind of in the darkness. Now, a lot of times we're doing Vespers when the sun is still out, technically. But the day begins there with like that potential, the potential in that, the darkness of the evening or the night. And then God makes something of it. The rising of the sun, the sun comes up, it peaks, we experience the day, then the sun goes to sleep and that's the conclusion of the day. And then the next day begins. Rather than the day beginning and ending, you know, um, in the morning. So, Vespers, and then the cycle continues with, um, with Compline. <clears throat> Vespers is, you know, we do that service. It means evening. Vespers means evening. Um, so it's an evening service. And then Compline, have you ever heard of? It's from, it's from the word which means sleep. Um, they're prayers that are done before a sleep. Now, a lot of the prayers in the prayer books, like if they say evening prayers, they're um, collections of prayers that have written, been written by saints, but they're not necessarily part of the liturgical cycle. And so it is appropriate, and you'll see in a lot of prayer books, like they'll have what's called little compline, 
which is a, a small, as opposed to great compline, which we do during great Lent, when we intensify our prayers. But it's, um, it's a little prayer service that actually, in a lot of traditional Orthodox countries, people among traditional Orthodox Christians, um, that's just their evening prayers, rather than a collection of different prayers by different saints that you know someone has compiled and put into a prayer book. Those can be good too, but one of my struggles when I was first Orthodox was like when Father James said to me, "Pick a prayer book and find you know maybe mark some prayers that you like and don't do too little, don't do too much." Just and I'm like, I don't, I didn't become, I'm not becoming Orthodox to pick what I like, even out of an Orthodox prayer book. What can I do, you know? So my solution was to pick some prayers from, from the, the cycle of the liturgical day. And so I did, I did midnight office, it's called, and, um, and small compline every day. Because it's a service. It's a said service. I'm not, I can't add to it. I can't take away from it. It's just that's how it is. It gave me a lot of stability personally. But some people thrive on being, being able to you know, grab some prayers here or there that they like. Um, with time, I will tell you, though, if you take prayer seriously with time, you're going to want fewer variety of, in words, more, more silence, more focus in your prayer. That's where the Jesus prayer comes in handy, using the prayer rope and saying the Jesus prayer, which we'll talk about a little more, I think, eventually. Um, so... Vespers, if you go to a monastery, a lot of times you'll have, you might have Vespers and then a meal and then Compline. Depends on the monastery. Um, sometimes you'll go, they'll have dinner and then Compline, I mean, excuse me, dinner and then Vespers with Compline appended to it. They just do them together. So it's more practical sometimes to, to aggregate the services. But Compline served after supper, midnight office. Some places is done actually at midnight, um, but a lot of times it's just done early in the morning. And then Orthros, which we do on Sunday mornings before Divine Liturgy. And then you have the hours. Have you, has, have you guys heard of the hours that are done? Pray the hours. So you've got first, third, And the first, um, the first hour corresponds with about 6 a.m., third, 9 a.m., the sixth hour, noon, and the ninth hour, 3 p.m. So through this cycle of prayer, each day is sanctified. So now it's not realistic for, for, for your average Joe to do all of these prayers throughout the day. So what, what is realistic for most of us is to pray in the morning and then to pray in the evening and before meals. And then if people have a little more time, I mean, and they want to pray more, if they're maybe if they're single or due to their life circumstance, they have, they realistically have the time, then they can kind of do a little more in between. Orthros is a hard one to do because it requires a lot of variable hymns. Like for, for each day, there are different hymns that are taken from the, the, the books of the church. 
Um, and most people don't have access to that. Although, now there are a lot of online resources. You don't have to own all the books. You can, like there's, a, there's an app that's called, I have it on my phone that I use as a little cheat sheet every once in a while. It's called Ages in Initiative. I don't know what ages means, but it's called Ages Initiative, and they're, they put, they're, they're trying to publish online like um, the full cycle of services with the particular um, hymns that would be done on every single day. It's pretty, it's kind of cool. But I have um, mixed feelings about digit, become digitally dependent. Um, so, yeah. Uh, if you are, let's say, doing morning prayers, uh, midday lunch prayers, a small complaint, but every time of, uh, every day you tend to have time at one of the hours. Mm -hmm. Is that something you can do just one of the hours, or do you? Have oh to yeah, you could. You, you if there's a little book, there's a little red book by Holy Transfiguration Monastery that's really nice, and it says like the hours on it or something, and um. Even on a given day, if you, you could, you could, if you have that handy, you could say, I have a little extra time today. I'm going to say the, you know, the third hour prayers. Yeah, you can do that. In a lot of times in monasteries, especially if they're, if they're busy, um, a lot of monasteries are self-supporting. They have job, everyone has jobs they're doing. So a lot of times what they do is they aggregate the prayers. And you'll hear about monasteries having like six hours of services or something. Then they get up super early in the morning start their services, they pray basically what's in the middle of the night, which is um, very early in the morning, conclude their prayers, and then they'll have a, a little rest time or a meal and then rest, a little, little rest time, and then they actually work during the day a lot, a lot of times. But, um, but they can be done at their traditional times as, you know, if people have the, the ability to do that. I used to have a little prayer book that had um, an abbreviated set of hours and I would always like on my lunch break I would go everyone else is gonna, you know going to go to the the teriyaki place or something and I would take my little book and just go on a walk and I'd say the hours while I was walking so um, yeah does that answer yeah. yeah I like that book I don't know if we have any copies downstairs but I, it's one that I like to keep um, I try to I've been trying to keep prayer books and things in stock in our little bookstore downstairs, but people are buying a lot of books and things these days. It's really inspiring, but it's hard to keep up because we just have, we don't make money on our bookstore, by the way. It's just to have things available and we get to actually get a discount. So we will bulk order books, although we do make money on Maria because she buys so many books. But <laughs> no, actually, we don't. We basically break even. You know, that's the goal. The goal is to break even. We have to pay for shipping. But when we buy books, um, because we can buy 10 or 20 at a time, we get a good price. And you can buy it. You can get it cheaper here than you can, like, on Amazon or something. Yeah, some, some of the, even if you go in some of the monasteries, it's, it's hard to find them. But in some, some of the web, like, some of them have mm -hmm. their stores online. Yeah. And if you don't have them downstairs, then you can find them there. And yeah. better price sometimes than Amazon. Yeah. Like Plus, price. to be honest, I mean, like, then you're just directly supporting a monastery. Because if you buy, buy everything through Amazon out of convenience, still, Amazon's getting, they're making a profit on that. And there's a lot of, in Amazon, I forget what 
to like Amazon Smile. It's oh yeah, that's true. Whenever you buy in Amazon, no matter if it's not from the monastery, it's it goes certain percentage goes to that monastery because that's what you went yeah. for. We actually have that for our church. Oh, really? Yeah, so if people use Amazon Smile. I think you can log in to smile.amazon.com. And we every like every year we get a check for like $170 from Amazon or something, you know, because we get, you know, 1% of someone's purchases when they use, you know, it's, but it's, it's like a free donation. They just, they decided if people are using our, our, um, company and, uh, we want to give back philanthropically, you know, then let's, let's let them pick nonprofits that they want us to send money to. And they're, they don't discriminate, you know, they send money to churches and I don't know, everywhere probably. But uh, we ha I think we have a link for it somewhere in like in our e-news or maybe occasionally we send out a reminder, but I have mixed feelings again about technology and um, <laughs> digital stuff and also just our dependence on things like Amazon is I think convenience and, and excess get us in a lot of problem in a lot of trouble these days I think we need to slow down you could buy like four books online before you've even read one you know I know that's my conviction right now it's like father father don't buy any more books you need to I was looking at my amazing library of books thinking, okay, Father, you just need to start in the upper left-hand corner and just start working your way through all the ones you haven't read. And if you're not going to read it, you don't have to read them. You know, Edward, you don't have to read it everything in depth. Some of them you just kind of quickly go through, but anyway. Okay. Once again, I digress. What time is it, you guys? 1.43. We have a little time still. So... Um, this prophecy is from Malachi. Um, so each day is... Did I read the prophecy? Maybe not. Malachi 1? Did I? From the rising of the sun, even to the going down? No, I didn't. Of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles, and in every place incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure sacrifice, for my name shall be great among the heathen, say, saith the Lord of hosts, from the rising of the sun, even to the going down. So it just means continuously, you know, throughout the day. And of course, we like to reference this, I mean, not just like to, it's, but it makes sense. Um, incense shall be offered unto my name. Like we, we still use incense in the church. It never went away. It didn't need to. It never got thrown out. So there's continuity there. And it's the fulfillment of, of a, pro a prophecy. Of course, no, I'm not going to do that. But, and you can use incense in your own home. It's appropriate to have a little, your own little sensor. And you don't have to, but a little sensor, a little charcoal, and um, some incense from... That's another great way to support monasteries. Um, and what we normally do is you just you light the sensor. Maybe I can do a little demonstration for you sometime. I have one down in my office, the kind that you would have at home. But... You light the charcoal and put a little incense on there and then let it burn while you're saying your, your prayers. And uh, who was it? Was it you, Sienna? Yeah, you and I were talking yesterday. And uh, we were talking about how when you do that at home, like in your room or I, my office is in the garage. So the garage always smells really good. 
no matter how messy it is. But I've got my own little area in the back where my little library is in, um, in my desk. And I'll go in there later in the day and it's like, oh, you said it smells like church here. Yeah, that's right. Well, having a big honking TV on the wall makes you want to watch TV. You know, like, what am I going to do right now? Oh, I have a 140-inch television on this one. I better put it to use. But, like, the things that we put in our lives, they do. They, they are prompts, you know. You leave that bag of chips out on the counter, it's begging to be eat, eaten. If you put it away, you're not thinking about it as much. Yeah, oh. And so I think there's something really, it makes sense that you would have an incense. It makes sense? Well, it does. And one of my friends, like another priest, he says, orthodoxy is the original multimedia worship. Because you have sound, smell, you know, sight. We use, we engage all of the senses. We don't have fog machines, but we do have smoke. So, um, but you're right. It creates an atmosphere, too. A sense of prayerfulness. And one of the things that I think that, that is so easy for us to do is um, compartmentalize. When I'm at church, I do my church stuff. And then when I'm at home, I do my home stuff. You know what I mean? I separate. And I think we, there needs to be continuity between what we do here isn't what we just leave here. We take it with us. Like if, you re, if you've received the body and blood of Christ, you don't leave it here. It goes with you. You know what I mean? Wherever you go. And then with regard to the incense, I don't know if I told you guys this when we talked about incense in our, um, in our uh, study group, but like for me, I mean, especially with the cassock, it permeates my clothes and it gets in my beard even. If you have a beard, it's like, hmm, damask rose, you know. Oh, we've been using rose incense this week. But uh, it takes that, you know, you carry it with you. And then, anyway, you can, see, you can pray at home. You can. You don't have to only pray at certain times. But it is hard because we like to separate. We like to flip the light on and turn it off at our convenience. But when, when you start putting icons on the walls and when you, when you light that lamp, that vigil lamp at home, and especially if you own your own house, you start burning incense, your, your house is going to smell like church. So beware because then you will not be able to escape it. <laughs> which we like to be able to do. And uh, to be honest, going back to the TV thing, if your home is full of icons and, and it smells like the incense and prayer and it's a place of prayer, it's going to be harder to watch that naughty movie. You know, you're going to be like, hey, my house is a place of prayer, not violence and sexual deviancy or something like that. Or, or even just the foul language. Whoa. Like, I want the words of the, the prayers of the church to be permeating the walls of my home. Not 
the F word every other. My wife turned on a show the other day. Every other word. It's t- and that's, you know, we're becoming desensitized, so we need to become more resensitized. And uh, anyway, it's a life. It's a way of life. And there's something exciting about that because we all think we want a holistic life. We claim that we do. There's something exciting about it, but then there's something totally threatening about it too. Because if I go all in, then... Then what? It's really, it's really easy to be a hypocrite if you're trying to live a life fully immersed in Christ all the time. Then it's gonna, that, that identity is going to lay claim on every ounce of your being. you know. And rather than hiding your hypocrisy, what do you do? Other than hiding your hypocrisy like a lot of us are good at doing, what do you think? Say it, yes. Mercilessly persecute it within yourself. Mercilessly persecute that hypocrisy within yourself. And if, Father Jeremiah, even and if you cancel cable, I've said my husband, we need to cancel cable. I'm going to cancel, uh, was it Netflix? I don't even watch it. I, mean, I go through <laughs> everything and I cannot find anything to watch. Except for mm-hmm. Christmas because I love the homework. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and so I told my husband, you know, I am canceling. She's going to get the guy. Look at all the books. <laughs> Look at all the books that I'm going to get with money from cable uh-huh. and, and Netflix. Yeah, I know. And More I, books. During Christmas, I can buy... More books, <laughs> yeah. I can buy... I can just buy the... You know, up, pay the $5 for the homework <laughs> and then cancel it after Christmas. Oh, and then see? <laughs> and save all the money for all their stuff. If anyone needs a life coach... <laughs> my husband, my husband's his father, and my husband says, he says, Maria, you have enough books. I mean, besides, I like to watch the news, you know. Mm-hmm. And then my other son, that hardly, you know, he's there, but he's like not there because he's always yeah. he thinks he's here, and he says, Dad, it's not even worth watching news because they're just repeating the same thing <laughs> over and over. No, it's again. true. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah, I mean, honestly speaking, on to that point. Um, Prayer should be prayer should be the constant in our life, our life of prayer. Like, there's never a day when you would say, "I'm going to fast from prayer today." Now, there you should fast from other things. There are things that you know because we have an immoderate relationship with a lot of things, and news media is one. Social media and news media. I mean, I tell, I sometimes I will tell people and counsel. You need to learn how to be able to go a day, an entire 24 hours. Not just sunrise to sunset, but without getting on social media or news media. Because if any news broke, you'll hear about it. Like if anything that important happened on Wednesday, you'll hear about it on Thursday. People would hear about it from friends. There's actually one thing I love to say. Wait, friends? (laughs) There's this thing I love to send people. It's an article from uh, one of the Philadelphia newspapers Mm -hmm. in 1890. And the person was complaining, saying, it's crazy. This whole new thing of weekly papers, people are going to be inundated (laughs) with news. Why do they need a paper every week? Every week. (laughs) Yeah. It's 
it's a good point. Can you send that to me? Sure. Father Jeremiah, the only thing that I do like to go on social media for is to the Bashan Island. I always forget his name. Oh yeah, Father Trifon. He puts his. He's got those little his little reflections every day. Every day. So it's, yeah. it's just very amazing to go in and then, you know, just look at... It's a little bite-size. Yes. Yeah. It does. I know, yeah. Yeah, I just talked to him on the phone the other day. He's doing good. Keep him in your prayers, though, because you get older every day. And he's experienced. He's feeling that. Um, okay. Thank you for all those thoughts and comments and things. So this prophecy from Malachi is important because it clearly, it clearly points to the church. Only in the New Testament era is God's name praised among the Gentiles, and only in the Christian church is incense and a pure sacrifice offered to God throughout the world. The sanctification of the day is clearly stressed at the prayer of the hours, which is read at every service except for Orthros and Vespers. And, um, oh, I don't have my book. I was going to, maybe I'll grab mine. One of the things, the funny things about Orthodoxy in America is that Orthodoxy has been brought to America, of course, from people from other countries. We call them old countries, you know, that have been around for more than a couple hundred years. Um, and they have liturgical translations in their own languages. They bring things over, and we're inheriting the experience of the Orthodox tradition from them. And uh, we get all these different translations of prayers and things. You know, like five different versions of, you know, the prayer of the hours. Because you've got the one translated from Serbian, you've got the one translated from Slavonic, from Arabic, from Greek, from Romanian, you know, and so... They're, they're all like similar but different. And so what I try to do with the prayers that I, that, I've, that I have found are used in our church services, but also that we use at home, I've tried to create consistency between the prayers that we use here at church and the ones we use at home, just so that I'm not familiar with, I don't know, I, I call it like the you, your version at home. And then we use the more of the more hieratic, you know, the thou language here, Elizabethan kind of. Although, if that doesn't trip you up, then that's fine. You can use whatever translation of prayers you want. But I try to use the same um, the same translations, partially too because I'm I serve the services all the time, and if the words change, it's oh, it's hard to pronounce my my. Mind and my mouth have gotten used to pronouncing, you know, certain ways of saying prayers. But there's this prayer called the Prayer of the Hours. And I'll read it out of this, out of this book here really quick. And then we'll wrap up for today. Question, Father? Yes? What's the difference between Matins and Orthros? No difference. Matins is the Russian word and Orthros is the Greek word. So... Our, our text calls it Orthros, and so I call it Orthros. The Antiochian church comes from um, the same neck of the woods as the Greek, you know, and so we have a common kind of terminology. But, uh, so that's why we tend to call it that. But 
I have friends who are Antiochians. They went to Russian seminaries. So they call it Matins. You know, it's the same, same thing. That's a good question. Um, okay, but I want to say this prayer of the hours. Okay, it goes like this. In this prayer, we're reminded of God's mercy and ask for his guidance throughout the day. And it goes like this. Thou who at all times and at every hour, both in heaven and on earth, art worshipped and glorified, O Christ God, long-suffering, plenteous in mercy and compassion, who lovest the just and showest mercy to sinners, who callest all men to salvation through the promise of blessings to come. Do thou the same Lord receive also our supplications at this present hour and direct our lives according to thy commandments. Sanctify our souls, purify our bodies, set aright our minds, cleanse our thoughts, and deliver us from all calamity, wrath, and distress. Compass us round about with thy holy angels that guided and guarded by their host. We may attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of thine unapproachable glory. For blessed art thou unto ages of ages. Amen. And um, the daily office, let's see, where are we at time-wise? It's probably about there. Oh, we have two, more, two minutes left. The daily office, or in general, the daily office is a reference to the full, the full complement of services. consists primarily of chanting of psalms. Um, and uh, I don't know if I wrote this on the board for you guys recently, but does everyone know what... Um, what Psalms is, or the book of Psalms in the Bible. So, in the, in the Orthodox Church, um, in practically speaking, we have separate, the Bible as a whole is broken up into separate texts because it's, um, it's not necessary to have it all in one place. Someone might be needing to read the Psalms. We have another person doing the epistle reading, another doing the gospel reading. And so it's broken up into, the, um, into sections according to how it's used in the church. So we have the book of Psalms. We have a book of the epistles and the gospel that sits on the altar. Um, the book of Psalms, which is used throughout the, um, the liturgical day traditionally, is called the, the Psalter, or Psalter. Psalter. And this is, this is something that um, is common to have, um, have your own copy of. Did I pull mine out at, at our study group the other day, or was it last week? Um, but a little, a little book of Psalms. And the reason it's nice to have a little book of Psalms like this, is that this one, again, is the same translation that we use in, uh, in the services of the church. And with time, you become familiar with it. If it feels a little clunky to, you know, to say, if ye indeed speak of righteousness, judge rightly, ye sons of men. But it's, poet it's like reading poetry. And if you do it continuously, you become familiar. You, become, you actually elevate, become elevated and used to the language rather than having you know, the, the Americanized version of everything. Now, if you, if you just can't read this translation yet, then start with the Orthodox Study Bible, you know, Psalms. But um, it's, it's good to have, and it's common for everyone in their own home or their own prayer corner to have their own book of Psalms 
that's used throughout um, throughout the week, and that makes up a good portion of of our prayers. The Psalter was the hymnal of Israel, and it remains the primary hymnal of the church. Every service has specific psalms assigned to it. For example, the liturgical day begins with Psalm 103, which is in the, the Septuagint, the Orthodox Bible, or 104 in the, uh, the Masoretic, which is, I can't explain it all right now, but the Protestant and Catholic. Um, but the liturgical day begins with Psalm 103. Does anyone know how it begins, if you've been to Vespers a lot? Bless the... Bless the Lord, O my soul, Lord my God, thou hast been magnified exceedingly. Confession and majesty hast thou put on, who covers this up. Anyway, so if you go to Vespers, you hear it every day. Um, and it glorifies God for the wonders of creation. In addition, the Psalter, another, another reason to have an, a nice um, liturgical one, is that it's divided into 20 sections called Kathismata. And Kathismata comes from, from a word which means... Um, that basically means a session, a session, like a session of psalm reading. Or, quite literally, in the monastery, they'll sit down, some, you know, they'll sit down during the psalm reading. So, we have a certain style of hymn called the akathist, or akathistos in, um, in the church. It means not sitting. So, and akathisma is a, a sitting or a session. So it's broken into 20 of them, and traditionally, then each, in, in a, like a fully functioning monastery, they work their way through the entire book of Psalms every, every week. And when I work with people on their prayer rule, over time, I like to develop their, their psalm reading as a part of their rhythm of prayer. I like to make... You'll notice traditionally, if you, if you read the lives of saints and elders, the things from the scripture that they quote from most frequently are the Gospels and the Psalms. They summer, everything is encapsulated in those. And then, of course, we read freely, you know, throughout the rest of the scripture. But you'll see there's a particular emphasis given to that. So having a Psalter, so I could say, like, read a Cathisma, which is about nine Psalms. That's, that's not practical for most people but then there's a each kathisma is broken into little littler sections called a stasis and you could maybe do one stasis which is just a few psalms so anyway um, and this is all born from you know the experience of worship in the church and so these sections are assigned so that the entire psalter is read during the week and then during lent the readings from the Psalter double. So in the monasteries, they'll go through the entire book of Psalms um, every week or twice during Great Lent. Okay, I think we're going to stop there because we're out of time. But let's stand up again and we'll sing the, uh, the Troparion for Transfiguration. And then maybe you'll get a couple more of the words. And then, like I said, all of this, it just, the way you become, the way you really become Orthodox is through immersion, through being in the services, through being imbued like your house does with that incense. 
like your mind and your thoughts with the prayers and scripture reading. And so it just takes time. When thou, O Christ our God, was transfigured on the mountain, thou didst reveal thy glory to thy disciples in proportion as they could bear it. Let thine everlasting light also enlighten us sinners through the intercessions of the Theotokos. O thou bestower of life, glory to thee. Through the prayers of our holy fathers, Lord Jesus Christ, our God, have mercy on us and save us. Amen. God bless you all. Go in peace. Thank you so much for being here today.